comfort. So Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 1. This is what the Bible says there. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, magi, or wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when they had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, this is Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them when the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and it stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Is there anybody in the room today just grateful for the divine warnings of God that tell you not to go back to some of the places that you've been. I'm grateful for that. So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you today for your word, and we ask you that you would, over these few moments that we have together, would you declare something that would encourage us, challenge us, and change us for your glory? Thank you for all those who are in the room visiting. Thank you for those who are watching and visiting online, and we're praying today that the gospel of your kingdom would be seen, would be preached, would be heard, and that people who feel far from you would be brought near to you through faith in Jesus Christ, because it's in Jesus' name that we do all of this, and it's in his name we pray, and everybody in the room said, amen. amen. So Matthew chapter two, 2 is a really interesting story, and I have a lot of material for you today, so a lot of this I'm going to read to you, but the Magi here, the Bible says they were from the east. Now, our best guess is that they were probably from Babylon, and Babylon is about 900 miles away or about four months of travel. And the Magi here would have been, because they were from the east, they would have been familiar with a prophet named Daniel. They would have been familiar with Daniel, and they would have actually been trained in Scripture. Their, their, their mentors and their mentors would have all been trained by Scripture from Daniel, from Daniel's story. As a matter of fact, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, the Bible says that a king named Nebuchadnezzar appointed Daniel. It says he appointed him as chief over the Magi, or the wise men in Babylon. And in Daniel chapter 6, verses 26 through 27, there it's pretty interesting because there's a new king. His name is Darius. And Darius has been so changed by the witness of Daniel. As a matter of fact, this happens right after Daniel goes into the lion's den and the lions don't eat Daniel. And the king comes and he checks on Daniel. He realizes that God has protected him. The king, Darius, he makes this declaration. He says, he says about Daniel's God, he says, For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not destroy, be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He made a declaration that everybody in his kingdom would serve the God of Daniel. 
This is amazing. And so these magi, like the magi of Daniel's day, would have learned scripture. So these magi are wise men from the east. They would not only have been familiar with scripture and with prophecy, but they were called magi for a reason. They also studied the stars. They studied the heavens. They studied the sky. And when they get to Herod, they, they, they tell Herod, the reason we're here is not just because of scripture. We're here because we saw his star in the sky. This is really cool. So these magi, because of prophecy and because of the, the stars, they would have been familiar with a few things. They would have been familiar with the timing of the death of Jesus. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 26, a prophecy goes out and it says that 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness. This is talking about Jesus. And to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah and the prince shall be seven weeks and three scores and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. So literally the Bible is saying about 490 years from this moment, there is going to be this event happen where this, this anointed one will come and he will destroy sin. Aren't you thankful that Jesus isn't an accident? Jesus isn't an afterthought. Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus has always been the plan of God. So they knew the timing of his death, and because they knew the timing of his death, they could, they could, they could, they could take an educated guess about the timing of his birth. Because Numbers gives us insight into the fact that priests went into service around the age of 30. So they could... They could, by just deduction, determine, okay, here is this time, so 30 years from then, and then with all of that information, so they knew the timing of his death, timing of his birth, they knew the place. Remember, Micah 5 and 2 says, Out of Bethlehem, though you're little among the thousands, yet shall out of you come forth unto me one that is to be ruler in Israel. So they knew the timing of his birth, they knew the place of his birth, and they knew the sign of his birth. Numbers 24 and 17 says, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. This is a prophetic about Jesus. He is the star of David. He is the scepter that rises out of Israel. And when they get to Herod, remember they say, we saw his star. His star. Stars are an, are an interesting thing in scripture. And I think because of things like horoscopes and zodiac and all of those things, I think Christians have been discouraged from studying the sky. And it's almost as if because the enemy, what he does is he masquerades as an angel of light. And he takes everything that God intends to point us to him and he, he turns it into something that's selfish and actually points us to ourselves. Because now we look at the sky and we go, oh, that's my sign. No, that's not your sign. The sky doesn't tell a story about you. The sky tells the story about God. Okay. So he said, we saw his star, not your sign. I'm a Virgo, you know. <laughs> it's no. No. How do you know this? Well, it's, it's in the Bible. So let me tell you a few things about the stars that the Bible says. It says that he made them. Amos 5 and 8 says, He who made the Pallades 
and Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. Job 9, 7 through 10 says this. It says, He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He is the maker of the bear and Orion. Arcturus is the bear. It's, it's, it's one of the brightest lights in the sky. The Pallades and the constellations of the south. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed. Miracles that cannot be counted. So God made the stars. God also placed them. He didn't just go, ha. Yeah, you know. But God placed them. The Bible says that. Psalm 8, 3 through 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is mankind, he says, that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them. In other words, even though with their limited view of the sky and what they could count, they didn't even know what we know today, that there are hundreds of billions of stars. He's saying with all of that up there, what is man? that you are mindful, that you even think about us, that your mind is on us. So he, he made them, he placed them, and he named them. Psalm 147 and 4 says, he counts the number of the stars and he calls them all by name. As a matter of fact, he actually, when he's talking to Job, he uses some of the names that men had given them to describe them to Job. So God actually calls some of the stars and constellations by the same name that we call them. Because when he's talking to Job in Job 38 and 31, he looks at Job and he's questioning Job and he says to Job, can you bind the chains of the Pallades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their season or lead out the bear with its cubs? How interesting is that? That's in your Bible. And so, so God took all of this time to put the sky together. The Bible talks about how with us, he, he knit us together in the womb of our mother. God is not disconnected from us in any form or fashion. So if he did this, there's got to be a reason why he did it. I think, number one, he did this so that people can see the glory of God. Psalm 19 and 1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. So the Bible says that the sky is talking and the sky is educating. That's why in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul would write, he would say, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so that they have no excuse for not knowing God. So again, the sky is not God. The sky is the work of his hands, but the sky reveals God And no one will be able to go to heaven and say, I didn't get to hear about you. I didn't know who you were. 
He says, no one will get to heaven and be able to say that because from the beginning of time, they have always been able to look at the sky and realize and know that there is some creative, supernatural designer who is active and evident in every single part of your life. Whether it's in the sky or it's in the earth, you have seen him. I think he always... He also does this as a sign. He does this as a sign to comfort the believer. I love this thought because Luke 21 through 20 or 21, 25 through 28, Jesus is talking. He's talking about the end and he's talking about how there are going to be war, rumor of war. There's going to be people who turn on you and and throw you into prison and falsely accuse you and. He's telling us all of these things that are going to happen and false prophets are going to come and they're going to declare that they are me return, but it's not me. And he says, one of the ways you're going to be able to learn and understand this and know what's happening. He says in Luke 21, 25, he says, there will be signs in the sun, the moon and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, he says to the believer, he says, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. See, the Bible, even though it has scary things in it, they're not intended to scare me. I'm a follower of Jesus. They're intended to bring me hope and to to let me know that it's crazy around me. But if it's crazy around me, that means that the Lord is quickly approaching. That means that the day and the hour of the Lord is coming. And just like those wise men who saw the star in the sky and traveled 900 miles to Jerusalem to see Jesus, we will see signs in the heavens that will let us know that our Savior, He is coming. And he is coming soon. Oh, I'm so grateful for that. Joel 2.31 says that the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And I had one of my kids, I was reading this verse to them this morning. They asked me, they were like, is blood going to drip on the earth from the moon? And I was like, I think it's just the colors going to change bright red. I don't know if it's like literal moon blood, you know, like, I think it's just going to be red. <laughs> I'm going to tell you who it was. <laughs> Anyhow, it's so funny. But people like us throughout history have always taken the sign and turned it into a savior. We've always taken the things that point us to Christ and turn them into gods. That's why there are 100 plus denominations meeting across the United States today. Because we took things that were intended to point us to God. And we made them things that we turned into God. Some of them salvation itself. Like baptism. Baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. You're saved by grace through faith alone, not of works. Baptism is something that believers should do. It's a command of Jesus to do it, but it's not the thing that saves you. 
All baptism does is point to Christ. It's a public declaration that I've already been saved. If I get baptized and I haven't confessed faith in Jesus, my dad always said, I'm just a wet sinner. (laughs) It's about as accurate as I know how to put it for you. It's just... We can do that to preachers. They're just a sign that points the way. They're not God. We can elevate preachers or our denomination or sacraments like communion. And we can turn them into idols in the same way that the Israelites, when they left Egypt, they were given all this gold by Pharaoh and they left with all this wealth. And that wealth was supposed to be a sign of God's power to deliver them and save them and provide for them. But they took that gold and they made it into an image and worshiped it almost immediately. We always take the things that are supposed to point us to Christ and turn them into a God. We've done that with our jobs. We've done that in our relationships. We've done that even with our children. They've become idols very often in our lives. And none of those things were intended to say, hey, I'm God. I'm where you find your fulfillment. Those things are supposed to point us to a God that we can find ultimate fulfillment and purpose in. So again, the sky is not God. The sky reveals God. Horoscopes, star worship, astrology, fortune telling are all perversions of God's intention for the stars. They glorify something that God made instead of the God who made them. In the stars, you can see proof of an intelligent designer. And astronomy and astrology are two different things. Why is this? Because Satan cannot create, he can only distort. He gets people to look at the stars and look for themselves. That's why horoscopes are corrupt, because they are the distortion of something that God created to point to him and not to us. Remember in Job, Job, as he's hearing back from God, God begins to ask him a question in Job 38 and 31 through 32. He asks him these questions. He says, can you bind the chains of the Pallades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you... Bring forth the constellations. The Hebrew word there is this word Maseroth. It's a very, very mysterious word in their season. Or can you lead out the bear with its cubs? I want to talk to you for just a minute about the Pallades, Orion, and the bear. And I'm going to have to read this to you because a lot of this information, I didn't come up with this, okay? I'm not this smart. This isn't even my field of study, okay? But the star cluster known as the Pallades is one of the most observed objects in the sky in our time. I think they might even have a picture. It's also called the Seven Sisters. It's an open star cluster in the constellation of Taurus. It is classified as an open star cluster because it is a group of hundreds of stars formed from the same cosmic cloud. They are approximately the same age and have roughly the same chemical composition. But most importantly, they are bound to one another by a mutual gravitational attraction. 
Isabel Lewis of the United States Naval Observatory said, Astronomers have identified 250 stars as actual members of this group, all sharing in common a motion and drifting through space in the same direction. She said they are journeying, journeying onward together through the immensity of space. Remember what God says to Job. Can you bind the chains of the Pallades? He's saying to Job, before we ever had telescopes, that Job, they are held together by gravity. Now we know this because of science and our discoveries. But Job didn't know this. Job's literally just writing down what God is saying to him. And God is revealing to Job that the Pallades are not just a random group of stars, but they are bound together held together, and he's saying to Job, can you do that? <laughs> I think if you could hold the stars together, then maybe you could look in the stars and see yourself. But if you can't hold them together, your story's not up there. So he says, he said, listen to what he says, then he goes, can you bind or can you loosen Orion's belt? So can you bind the chains of the Pallades can you loosen Orion's belt? Orion's belt, I think they have a picture of that. Orion's belt is formed by two stars and one star cluster. These stars, along with other stars, form Orion. And they are not gravitationally bound like those in Pallades. Instead, the stars of Orion's belt are heading in different directions. Unlike the Pallades, cl the Pallades clusters, the stars in the band of Orion do not share a common trajectory. Over the course of time, Orion's belt will be loosened just as God told Job. They are literally moving apart. He says to Job, can you loosen Orion's belt? I, I, can I give you one more? Okay. So, and then he says... Can you, he says, can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? The bear with its cubs is Arcturus. Arcturus, the name just means bear. It's the brightest star in the northern constellation of the Boetes. It looks like booties, <laughs> B-O-O-T-E-S, or boots. I don't know why I saw booties, but, you know, <laughs> it probably says something about me. Uh, Less about you, more about me, okay? <laughs> so he's... <laughs> All right. This is serious stuff, guys. This is science. <laughs> uh, all right. So listen to this. So while Arcturus certainly appeared in ancient times to be a single star... In 1971, astronomers discovered that there were 52 additional stars connected directionally with Arcturus, known as the Arcturus stream, or as God said, suns. <laughs> These stars, listen to this, are a law unto themselves. Arcturus is one of the greatest suns in the universe. It is what astronomers call a runaway, whose speed of flight is 257 miles per second. Arcturus, we have every reason to believe, possesses thousands of times the mass of our sun. Our sun is traveling only 12 and a half miles a second, but Arcturus is traveling 257 miles a second. This high velocity places Arcturus in that very small class of stars that apparently are a law unto themselves. They have no leader. 
He is an outsider, a visitor, a stranger within the gates. To speak plainly, Arcturus is a runaway. Newton gives the velocity of a star under control as not more than 25 miles a second. And Arcturus is going 257 miles a second. You could combine the attraction or the pull of all the stars that we know and you cannot stop its path. Arcturus, the bear and his sons are on a course all their own. Only God has the power to guide them just as described in the book of Job. He said, can you lead the bear out with her sons? Genesis 1 and 14, the Bible says there, says God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. In Matthew chapter 2, we see an unusual, an unusually bright star that isn't there anymore. And one of the ways that astronomers have helped us throughout human history is because of the patterns of the sky, they're able to determine when there's going to be a full moon, how long the days are going to be, when this star is going to be there, what this season represents. And because there's a pattern and a flow to the universe, as if there's a sense of timing to the universe, then they are able to take that same pattern to predict when we will see stars pass or Planets will appear closer. They are to, able to take that same pattern and reverse it and tell us about things that happened in the past. Well, very many astronomers believe that during that time, that unusually bright star in the sky was actually a conjunction of the king planet, Jupiter, which is the king, it's called the king planet, and the little king star, Regulus, in the constellation of Leo, the king. So you have a planet, a star, and a constellation all coming together and aligning and it appearing as a bright light. In that moment in history, in the time where it is assumed Jesus was born. Not in December. <laughs> More like the spring. Wow. Scientists tell us that even our Planets orbit, orbit in such a powerful way and they're there by so much design that due to the giant size of Jupiter and Saturn, Earth has been saved multiple times from destruction by incoming meteors and comets and other spatial anomalies because of their strong gravitational pull. Now, when you think about signs, Genesis says they will be for signs. When you think about signs, some signs are, are objective and some are subjective. That means some signs are like, like a stop sign. Right? You see a stop sign, it's not a suggestion. Run it with a police officer sitting right there and you'll find out it's not a suggestion. It, it's, it's, it's not subjective. You don't get to, you know, when you get pulled over by the police officer and he asks you, you know, why'd you run that stop sign? And you say to him, you know, I saw the sign, but, but I didn't feel like it was speaking to me on a personal level. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't identify with that sign today. You know, I, I felt like a green light today. I didn't feel like a stop sign today. It's, 
you don't, it's not like an advertisement you see on a sign. An advertisement is not necessarily something you have to do. I think a lot of people see advertisements and they think I must buy that because it's on a sign. But you don't have to buy it because it's a suggestion. It's not, it's not there to make you do something. It's there to suggest that you do something. And the signs that God gives us, they're not something that we get to really debate over. We have a word that is a sign. And it's fixed like a stop sign. It doesn't have any other meaning. In every country you go to, the word stop, whatever they use for the word stop, it means stop. There's no gray area to the meaning. And that's the way the scripture is for us. In Romans chapter 10, verses 16 through 18, Paul is writing and he says something really, really wild. He says, Not all of the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, he said, Faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear talking about Israel? He says, of course they did. Their voice, he said, has gone out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. And if you reference what's being quoted there, whose voice? Whose words? The stars. He's quoting Psalm 19 and 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim His name. Day after day they praise you. Night after night they sing and say and reveal knowledge. Did Israel not hear the gospel? He says, no, they heard it. Every time they looked up at the sky, they saw the story of God. Venus is the first celestial body to become visible in the sky at night and in the morning. It's known as the morning star and the evening star. In Revelation 22 and 16, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Isaiah 46, 6-8, this is what the Lord says, The King of Israel and its Redeemer, the Lord of the heavenly armies, is His name. He says, I am the first and the last. And apart from me, there is no God. Throughout Scripture, you see even Jesus, almost every major writer in the Bible, addressing the fact that God's story is in the stars. And I think because, again, the enemy has corrupted it so much and turned it into something it was never intended to be, we feel almost guilty looking at the stars. Well, I'm not, I'm not into the zodiac and I'm not into horoscopes. Well, all of those are perversions of what God's intent for the stars were. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact when you read the book of Revelation, so many of the visions and things that he sees, John the Revelator, as he's writing, 
especially Revelation chapter 12 where he's talking about, and I saw a sign in the heavens and a dragon was, was, came out and there were seven heads and there, all of this imagery, what he's literally doing is the Bible says he's on an island called Patmos where there's no light pollution and he's looking up at the sky and he's literally seeing the end of time take place in the heavens. He's looking at different constellations and different star clusters as they gather. And in the same way that they put those zodiac signs together, he is looking up into heaven and he's saying, I see the king of glory and I see the dragon slain and I see the lion. It's all there. You just have to look. So I came to tell somebody today, look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. Jesus, the baby, has been born. It's not a matter of just theology. It's a matter of history. There's just as much documentation that Jesus was a real person who was born as any of us were born. Just as much. Christianity is not a religion that you, you take your head out of the equation. It is a thinking man's faith. That's why you have magi who were both thinking men and prophetic men. And they said, we have come to see the king of the Jews who was born in Bethlehem. And I wonder if we can still look up and see the king. Not see ourselves. Not turn it into this selfish, prideful, introspective thing like we've done with Christmas itself. But can we turn it back over to the God who didn't make it to tell a story about me and you? He made it to tell his story. This is his story. Will you stand with me today? Will you bow your heads with me? I just want to... I just want to ask in this room if there's anybody in this room who would say, you know, Robbie, I know I'm here on Christmas or I know I'm watching online right now, but I feel far from God. I feel distant from God. And maybe you're here in the room and you feel that distance because you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never put your faith in him. He's never saved you from your sin. Or maybe you're in the room today and you've been away from God because of decisions you've made. The Old Testament says something like this. It says that our sins have separated us from God. It doesn't say God has separated himself from us. It says our sins have separated us. What that means is when we do our own thing and we go our own way as believers, we put a barrier between us and God. God never puts the barrier there. And all we have to do is turn in repentance and say, Forgive me, I'm coming home. And if that's you today, whether you want to invite Jesus in for the first time or you want to say, I'm coming home today, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to count to three, and when I do, I just want you to throw your hand up in the air, and what a testimony to be able to say, I gave my life to Jesus, or I came back to the Lord on Christmas Day, Sunday, December the 25th, 2022, as, as if everything in the history of humanity and the alignment and the timing 
just as the heavens are on a timetable, just as the earth moves in a rhythm, so is your life. And you are here in this room at this moment for a reason. So when I count to three, I just want you to throw your hand up in the air. We want to pray with you. And I believe in this moment that God is going to supernaturally change and redirect your life in Jesus' name. If that's you, one, two, three, throw your hand up in the air. Awesome. Awesome. I see you. Hands there. Hands there. I see you. Awesome. I see you, sir. I see you there. Come on, throw it up real high so I can see. I see you there. Awesome. I see you back there. Come on. So cool. Come on, let's, let's, let's all pray this prayer with those who lifted their hands and let's say this together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. I give you my life. Take all of it. Have your way. Use me for your glory. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord. Thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for those that made that decision, either in the room or online? Hey, if you made that decision today, we want to make sure that you text this number on the screen. We'd love to connect with you. And if you made a decision online, please type in the chat, hey, that was me, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube, we'd love to connect with you. If you're in the room today, we have a prayer team who'd love to meet you up front. I wonder if I have any believers in the room who just want to throw your hands up in the air and just say, God, I see you. I see you. Thank you for revealing yourself to me in a new way. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, can we put our hands together one more time?